Hallelujah. Praise God forever. Say this with me. Jesus, I love you. I love you. And I love you. And I worship and serve you. For you are my purpose of living. In you do I live and move. And have my being. Amen and amen. Praise God. Let's turn our Bibles today to Matthew 20, 25 through 34. I'm going to be teaching this week and uh, the following week. It won't be on Easter, but the following week after that. And maybe a week after that about you and I using our faith as Jesus did for our family. Now, we kind of started it last week on Messy Sunday. So we're going to talk about what Jesus used his faith for. He used it to build a family, and he used it to protect, to promote, and to deliver family. And so we're going to look at that today, and we're going to start in Matthew 20 and verse 25. We're going to read through 34. And it says, But Jesus called them unto him, and he said, Now you know that the princes of the Gentiles, notice Jesus is making a separation between the kingdom and the world. And he says, The Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. There's not a question this is a dogmatic command, but it shall not be, not be among you. But whosoever shall be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to give his life for a ransom for many. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they had heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because that they should hold their peace, that they cried, but they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still. He called them, and he said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? And they said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. And so Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Here we see two blind men, evidently not having enough faith to get healed, but having enough faith to reach out and touch the faith that Jesus had. Now you might say, well, I, I don't think that's right. Really? Isn't that what James 5.14 says, that if there are any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Now, you have enough faith to call for the elders of the church, but they have enough faith to connect with you for you to get a miracle. 
So this was common practice among the Jewish people. So here Jesus is walking along, they call out, and Jesus stops. He's not too busy for him. He stops. Why? These are the children of God. These are the priests and the kings of God's kingdom. These are the peculiar people. These are those that God has redeemed from under the power of Satan and Pharaoh through the shed blood of the Passover lamb. These are people of the family of God. Jesus, being a part of that family, he sent to the nation of Israel, the sons and daughters of God, his people. Remember, he is the father of Israel. Sometimes we say, well, Jesus taught the Gentiles to pray. No, he never taught Gentiles to pray our father. He reiterated an Old Testament prayer, and it was given to the disciples, and Jesus said, this is how you pray. Our Father, which art in heaven. That's how Jesus taught them to pray. That is an Old Testament covenant prayer. The Gentiles say, oh, it's ours. No, it wasn't ours. It was under the Old Covenant, just as the four Gospels are under the Old Covenant. The New Covenant doesn't start until the book of Acts in the second chapter. And so Jesus is talking to them and reminding them, you are your family and you are in the family of God and he is your father. So Jesus uses his faith to help other people. Now another thing that Jesus does, he establishes the kingdom value. He establishes a value that surpasses the Gentile kingdom. The Gentile kingdom is always inward focused and outward usury. Anytime we are using people for personal gain, self-gain, or for embetterment, that is the Adamic Gentile nature. It is not the kingdom nature, and it's not the kingdom purpose. And Jesus almost adamantly says, but it will not be among you. In other words, it's like something that is like a blasphemous attitude. You just want what you want at the cost of anybody else. Jesus said that's not how the kingdom works. That's why Jesus stops. Now, everybody else has a plan and a goal in that crowd. They want to get to the supper that Jesus is going to. They want to get to the house. They want to rest. They want to hear him speak. They want to see what they can glean from it. They want to hear how great God's going to be on their behalf and what they can do. They want acknowledgement. Hey, I've been rubbing shoulders with Jesus. But he stops says, wait a second, there's a need here, and a need is greater than a goal. Amen. And he stops, and he meets the need at his own expense. Now, let's go to uh, Mark 12, 28 through 33. So Jesus establishes a value system. It is not a value system of usury. It is a value system of sacrifice. Jesus said, I no longer or I never came to be ministered to, 
I came to give myself. Amen? Amen. And I know that when we start giving ourselves to people, we can be hurt, we can be offended, we can be... So what does that have to do with the kingdom of God? See, that attitude is a Gentile attitude. Because there's no hurt that a man can afflict to you that will affect you any greater than you let it. Mm-hmm. You're hurt and still embittered and still mauling over and chewing your tongue because you are trying to get some justification out of a wrong. People wronged you. Well, yeah, but I, I don't understand why. You never will. Get over it. Move on. Have enough love to bear the infirmities of another instead of demanding that people carry your weaknesses through your life. Could I get an amen? amen? Folks, sometimes we are so messed up with our love theology that we think that when it says, love your brother, and it means everybody but us. No, love covers a multitude of sin. And if you're still mauling yours over, it's a good indication that you aren't operating in love. On any given day, I have to love what Phyllis is putting me through. There's not one day that I couldn't be mad at Phyllis. And there's not one day she couldn't be mad at me. But if we keep harboring those things, what does that say to us about the value system of God? All right, it says in Mark, the 12th chapter, verse 28, and one of the scribes came, Having heard them reasoning together, he perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, well, the first commandment is the commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. And thou shalt love thy, neighbor, love thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. But to love him with all of your heart and with all of thy understanding and with all of thy soul and with all of thy strength and to love thy neighbor as thyself is more than all of the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that, he answered him discreetly. He said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that just asked him any questions. What did Jesus do here? He established three valuable assets of the kingdom of God. Your love for God and your love for a family. Neighbors. Neighbor is anyone that is close to you. A neighbor is anyone that you would see. A neighbor is anybody that you would come in contact with. And so, Jesus establishes a value system. Remember what they were? First, your personal intimate relationship with God. 
it should encompass everything that you do. Everything you watch, everything you listen to, and every way that you respond, and how you, are, how you absorb wrong. And then we are to love our neighbors as, as, as yourself. So do we respond to people the way we want them to respond to us? Or do we respond to them how they should have responded to us? No, listen. We have got... Now, I know that you think, oh, man, when you're a pastor, these are great scriptures. Oh, they aren't just great scriptures. They are the standard of judgment for eternal life. Jesus said, I will not judge you, but the words that I speak, they are totally indifferent to me because they will judge you and they will judge you in comparison how you have judged others. So, what we have to understand, these are not just flowery poems or palms or poems or, uh, is that how it's, well, whoever said, yeah. These are not flowery sayings, folks. These are the words of eternal life. How you get it, how you keep it, and how you live under its canopy. So, Jesus sets a precedent that we are to have a different attitude and a different value system. And so it's a different from the world, but it is right in the eyes of God. Let's go to Matthew 22, 23 through 33. Matthew 22, starting at 23 and going through 33. Now, I'm laying out a lot of this, but I really need to lay it so that we can understand it all. And the same day came to him the Sadducees. Now, the reason they're sad is because they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe, they don't believe in nothing. Which say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him. Now, watch this. This is a real, this is cool. Saying, Master, Moses said that if a man die having no children, that his brother shall marry his wife. And raise up seed to his who? Not to himself. To his brother. Next verse. And now there were with us seven brethren. And the first when he had married a wife, he deceased and having no issue or no seed, left his wife unto his brother. Wouldn't that be a great inheritance? Likewise, the second also and the third unto the seventh. They all died until it comes to the last one. And last of all, the woman dies also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? And they, for they all had her. <laughs> Boy, that's kind of a crude word. Uh, had her. All right. Jesus answered and said unto them, Are you do err, Not knowing the, what? Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Notice, what is taking place with these seven brothers has nothing to do with heaven. It has everything to do with the earth and what the brother does with the will of God. 
but as the angels of God are in heaven, but as touching the resurrection of the dead, you have not read that, that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Is he not the God of the dead, but of the living? And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. Now, what is God saying? That you have to take the leftovers of somebody else's uncompleted life. How would you like to have to marry your brother's wife that was 20 years your senior? How would you like that? Well, well I wouldn't do it. Well, you know, you've been dating. You've been to all of the bars in Galilee. You know, you've been to some weddings. Man, you've got some knockout babes. And... You may have fallen in love with one of them. You got plans, except God lays out a plan where you are to prefer your brother above yourself. The whole concept is about this. The concept is not about, you know, uh, you getting a used wife or they all had her. Uh, the concept is this, that you are to love your brother so much that every dream and every goal that you have and everything that you've purposed in life becomes subservient to you promoting him. Want to talk about love? That's love. Put everything else on the back burner for your brother's advancement. Wasn't about your seed because they don't know your name because she carries his name from marriage to marriage. You are swallowed up in the act of sacrifice and love. And it has nothing to do with you when you get to heaven. Jesus says this. This is all about what you do with your life on the earth to whether you make it to heaven or not. See, the Bible said, well, then she dies and she goes to heaven. But notice, there was no, well, I don't want to marry her. No, nah, she's too ugly. She's too old. I ain't going back there. I'll tell you what, I want my own wife. I want my own woman. I want, you know, she's been had by them all. There wasn't any devaluing. There was a higher level of value on your brother's wife as there was on your wife-to-be. Think what that meant. You've been, you know, going around trying to build relationships, picking out your gal, and all of a sudden, your brother picks a bad day and he dies. And you know he had it planned. Because he told you all the bad things of his wife. Now you're about to inherit all his problems. But it has nothing to do about that. See, we always want to look at hardships. 
We want to look at the loss of potential. We want to look at lost opportunities. We, we want everything to fall in line with our goals. Love never ever considers the one that is promoting it. It considers everybody else. When you got married, did your uh, pastor say to you, now, John, everything you want, she's going to do. Now, every did, 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 if they, he lied to you. No. Will you take her, receive her as your wife? You're going to love her. You're going to cherish her. You're going to take care of her. You're going to do this, and you're going to do that. Uh, 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 yeah. That lasts about two days, and then you want to back out. You want to rewrite the contract. Now, John, do you think God told you to marry Nita? No, 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 not. Listen, you know this is set up, brother. Did God tell you to marry her? He didn't. You just picked her. I don't want you. Uh, did God tell you to marry her? He said, I want you to marry that woman. Did you feel like it was God's will? We're getting closer. Ben, yes. now I know you already, you already told me your story. You saw Shonda and you said, forget Katie Bartador, she's going to be my woman. So, well, forget you. Uh, nah, you lie. Now, Bob, now I know that you were a man of prayer. Did you pray and ask God if he wanted you to marry Carol? And what did he say to you? It's up to you. Boy, none of these guys are hearing from God. I'm telling you. Randy, did you pray about marrying Rhonda? Uh, yes. Oh, good <laughs> Lord. Actually, uh, uh, God had given me a dream. And I'd seen... You'd seen her in a dream. Don't you remember? Don't buy a car here. You don't remember that sign. All right, so you believe that God told you to marry her. Now, do you think he wanted you to marry her and do what he said in the Bible to her? Or you think he wanted you to just write your own story? What his word says. So you are as obedient to that call as you are to live by the rest of the Bible. Don't make excuses. I'm asking you a question. Is that how you view your marriage five years later? So you see her as God speaking to you as much as go to the other side. This is your primary focus. So everything else has to be laid aside if you're telling me that God told you to marry her. Now, is it as emphatic and as important five years later as it was when you said, I'll do it? To God, yes. To God, yeah. <laughs> In other words, you're telling me, without a shadow of doubt, 
And anybody can read your book. They can read your face. They all know you have just laid half of it down. And you're doing what part promotes your well-being and not your, not hers or God's. You use her to help get your plan and your cause from God accomplished. Yeah, to a degree, big, absolute. Now, do we love God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul? Do we love our neighbor as ourself? Because, see, if Randy really loved his wife, and Randy is, is it's typical of everybody in here. But Randy is typical of all of us. But I'll just tell you right now, that loving your wife as Christ loved the church and loving your neighbor as yourself, that ain't primary in Randy's life. Randy is filled with just as much self-centered, self-promotive, self-satisfying, self-desiring lust as all of us are. Then we wonder, God, why aren't our blessed? Why aren't it? Well, if you break the first covenant and then the second, Jesus said this, all things work good to, to your good if you love me and keep my commandments. Yeah. Whatsoever you ask, ask me in my name. And we know we have the confidence of this because we love him and we keep his commandments. Could that be one of the great things of the failure of successful faith? Yes, absolutely. Now, I'm not condemning anybody. We're all people growing. What I'm trying to do is point out to us places that we have deceived ourselves and put others on the back burner and put ourselves back in the Gentile seat. Now, I'm not, I'm not condemning you. So be, oh, my God. I just, no, no, no. That's conviction. Don't, don't misread it. Don't get all bummed out because you aren't measuring up. Make adjustments. Make adjustments. The only person in here who doesn't have to is me. So, anyway. <laughs> And, uh, right, Peter asked this question. Jesus, you know, I'm going to throw you a real switch here and show you how spiritual I am. If my brother sins against me, do I got to forgive him seven times? Jesus said, Peter, you think forgiveness is about you being free of obligation. I say this to you, seven times 70. Why? Because your life does not exist because your conscience is appeased. It exists because your brother succeeds in righteousness. Peter wanted to make 
It's all about his perfection. Seven times I'll forgive him. Jesus said, you aren't even close to pneumatical success. Seven times 70. You will forgive that same brother. Well, 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 God, because his wrongs are not an excuse. And you have to forgive him because in the equation of the Gentile and the people of God, the other surpasses the value of the former. So all you people that get offended at half of nothing, hello, nothing, nothing, nothing. You know, people have a tough time. Teens, you know, bless their hearts. They're going through menopause and they're getting filled up with hormones and, and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Their brains are getting perverted and their bodies are growing hair where they never grew hair. And, you know, my God, they look like hairy little monsters. The bathtub's filled with hair. You got to every time they get out of it. My word. And then they have a bad time relating in youth group. You know how many of them carry that over? See, because they don't remember all of the love, the compassion, all of the struggles. All they remember is the other person that was possessed by hormones. They forget that they were possessed by hormones. And they did just as much wrong as the other people that they're still offended at. People say this to me. Oh, our teen group failed my teen. No, your teen got hormones and was uncontrollable. Because you had problems with them at home. You just want to blame me for what you wouldn't do at home. How do you balance hormones? It's called whipping. Just a thought. I don't believe in beating, but I do believe in the Bible. And I believe when your sons and daughters are standing up cussing you and cursing you and doing everything, climbing out windows, going and sleeping with people and all that, then you want to blame your youth group. Hello, somebody. Your youth group's got an hour with that metamorphosis. And it's evolving into something, maybe a praying mantis instead of a butterfly. But see, you got to realize it's not everybody's fault because you have ended up with a lemon truck in your yard. Deal with it. Amen. Don't let it get the best of you. Keep things in perspective. Others first. Everybody else. All right. So, let's go to, uh, man, oh, man. All right, let's go to 2 Corinthians. This gets to be good news, David. Okay. All right. And realize that we can't do anything that we've just talked about without the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen? But I'm telling you that there is a place of love where it works no ill to its neighbor. 
doesn't think an evil thought. Oh, well, we just can't. Oh, yes, you can. Yes, we can. We can get there. We can get there. Now, let's go to 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 11. Can I have that up there? Now, this is who you are. For such trust have we through Christ to Godward, that in nothing we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. We also, hath made, who hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, which was of the law, written and engraved in stones was glorious, so then that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away with, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the administration of condemnation be glory, how much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceeding glory? And even that which was made glorious hath no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For, that, for if that which is done away with was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. In other words, the law revealed God in such a way that people that saw him could not behold him through another human being. That's under the law. But now that law has been done away with and God has made us the tabernacles of the Holy Ghost. We are not our own. We're bought with the price and the Spirit of the Lord dwells in us. Now, that glory because of the enablement to love, to care, to live by the kingdom way instead of the Gentile way is seen and expressed through you and I. In other words, the law couldn't do it except by one man, Moses. But we catch glimpses of it through David, a man after God's own heart. Jeremiah that wept for the brothers because they were separated from God. Isaiah because of the rejoicing of the coming Messiah. And the list goes on and on. But you and I are unique creatures. You and I have been empowered not by natural substance, but by a supernatural element that you and I are empowered to give life. Not death, never death. Somebody say life. It is not your nature to see negativity. That is the Gentile pulling you back home. If you see negativity in a critical way, that is the Gentile kingdom seeking to take place or take reposition of your life. We do not see negativity. 
we see a man after seven times 70 still in covenant with God and still walking by the brother that he has wronged. Seven times 70. And his brother walking with him. That's who you and I are. That's who we are. The weapons of our warfare, and we are in a war. The weapons of our warfare, 2 Corinthians 10.3, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are of a spiritual nature, given and commissioned by us, to us, by God. What weapons does God use to protect the kingdom? The same weapons that you have. The same enemy is on earth that was in heaven. The same enemy that Jesus dealt with, he used the weapons of a spiritual divine nature and he defeated him. And Jesus lived without sin, and he lived the sacrificial life. You have been given that. Could again get an amen? amen? And it says that we pull down, pull down, bring him down to destruction and annihilation. The strongholds of the devil. Somebody say of the devil. Of the devil. Now you have the ability to destroy them. You have the ability to destroy them. And that we are to be able to live in the renewed mind of Christ over strongholds, fortresses, castles that have been in, in the construction for years. You and I have the ability to pull them down and rebuild a wall of protection. Now that's what we can do. Could again, amen. We can. Now, let me quickly go through here. 2 Corinthians 121. You are anointed by God. The anointing simply means that you have been enabled and furnished so that when you make the statement, I can do all things through Christ, that's a true statement. You've already been enabled and empowered by God to face the worst circumstance and come out with Christ being glorified. Amen. You can do it. Somebody say, I can do it. Can do All it. right, hallelujah. Then we have this. The Bible says in Matthew, the 18th chapter, that we have power to bind and to loose. You have the power to bind and to loose. How would you bind poverty? Start giving. It, it's already bound. Why? The harvest has been released. So all you have to do is just do what the Word says, and you'll start binding principalities because when you start operating on the Word, God moves into position, and He upholds the Word. Amen. So now once you act on the Word, 
It is no longer your battle. It's God moving in and setting up ambushments against your enemy. And then you and I have the ability that we have the armor of God. All of it. And one of the armors of God is the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. But most of the time when we get in conflict, we never talk what God said. We talk about everything that has went wrong with us because of somebody else. It doesn't matter. The wrong has been done. Well, I just don't think, no, forget the wrong, deal with the damage. And God sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from all premeditated damage and destruction. Say what God said. Quit worrying about how it came, who it came from. Stop repeating a matter. Stop repeating a, a presumptuous thought. Stop repeating what you think is happening. Know this, the devil is at work and he used Peter and he'll use people you know. Just handle it the way that Jesus did. Amen. Don't ever expect. Let me tell you what I expect from believers. Nothing. I do. Why? Because I'm going to tell you what they're going to do. Nothing. I'm expecting, David, that you are going to fall in the category of seven times 70. Oh, well, David would never do that, said the guy that didn't think David was wanting advantage. Said the man that when David wasn't mad, said when David didn't hear something I said wrongly, or when David perceived that I thought I knew what I was doing. When David thought a made-up lie, but really, David, it doesn't matter because I have been enabled and furnished by God to absorb every wrong that you do me and grant you absolution. You understand, that's who I am. And that's who you are. Now, you can let that old Gentile devil jump up and start building your castle again. But I think I'm just going to stay in the freedom of the kingdom. And if I don't forgive David, I won't be forgiven. Now, that's not why I'm doing it. My motive is to make sure that I prefer David above myself. Now, in my home, I, I know Phyllis sometimes loses her mind. And she does things that shouldn't be done in my book. But I have to believe the best. I don't believe she cooked this trash on purpose. I don't believe she's just trying to get a maid by not cleaning the house. I don't believe there's a reason she hasn't done my underwear in six weeks. But all her clothes are pressed and ironed and hung up. 
No, I, I don't think that about Phyllis. And if she did it on purpose, what is my stand? God knew me before the foundations of the earth, and he knew this kittle. And every kittle has a pot. No, every kittle has a lid. So I'm the lid to the pot. God enabled me to be the lid. And he enabled me to endure all the steam and all of the pressure from the pot. And so it doesn't matter why, how. It doesn't matter intentional or not. You are enabled by God to fight the warfare and come out blameless. This is who you are. You are empowered with a supernatural power, with a supernatural tongue. The Bible says in Jude, 121 says that you keep yourself in the love of God by praying in the Holy Ghost. Might be why you aren't in the love of God is because we ain't praying in the Holy Ghost. But we ought to be praying in the Holy Ghost so that love doesn't become conquered and the lust of our flesh doesn't overcome our love for God. Read it in its content. So you have another weapon is that you have supernatural languages that tell you there are supernatural, other eight supernatural gifts on the inside of you. Amen? And it would be to God that we would have the discerning of spirits instead of the spirit of criticism. That we could really interpret that this is the devil doing this because I don't think they would ever do me that way. Wow. Now I'm warning Phyllis that she don't want to try that out of this freshness of this message. Because that would be usury. <laughs> then you are empowered by this. Now I'm going to say this and we're going to close. And I hate that I didn't get to what I was headed for today. You are empowered with prayer privileges. Do you know that it says in James, the fifth chapter, that we can pray the prayer of faith, but then we, Bud, you and I, were praying for John. So Bud and I are watching John, and he's living by faith. But, you know, John, sometimes, I don't know why God did this to me. Then later he said, Oh, I, I'm God, I'm so sorry. I just lost my mind. Bud and I are praying for John that he will be healed. And when we pray like that, the Bible says if he's committed any sins, they'll be forgiven him. Yes. In other words, God will forgive John's verbiage of doubt. And then the Bible says that Elijah was a righteous man. And he prayed and he shut up the heavens for three years. Then he prayed again, bud. 
and he opened them up. Do you know there are a lot of people living in stormy lives? But you have the ability to open up the heavens and bring blessing to their life. In fact, if you love your brother as yourself, your neighbor, would you pray for your own storms to stop and heavens to be open? That's how we should be praying for people today. Oh, they're just in a battle. Did you pray? Did you open the heavens? Did you speak a word of life or death? Did you just tell people, well, they're going through something. They're struggling. I didn't see them at church last two weeks. I, I don't know. You know, they're, they're in a battle. I, I don't know. Praise God. Why did they miss two weeks and you haven't been at their door? Why are these people growing cold while we flourish? Why are we burning hot with a passion of the love of God, but blind to the needs of our brother? How many of us would be complaining if we were number seven when number six brother was on the deathbed? Or would we say, not important what I had planned today, not important what I want to do, I need to lay this down that my brother can break through and absorb and receive an inheritance of a child. Maybe Isaac laughter at the end of a long wait. Using our faith like Jesus did for his family. Saints, if we really want power, we just got to love people. If you really want power, we just got to do what God wants us to do. We need to use the weapons of our warfare for those that are in the battle. Amen? How about a husband say, I wish you'd hurry up and get over this. How many times have you spent praying for her? Philip says, boy, oh boy, what in the world happened to you? Did you take a testosterone pill or something? Your wife ever say that to you? She's always nice. She's always nice. Now you're trying to make up for all that other stuff you already got blamed for. Look, folks, let's love, let's use the weapons of our warfare that others may live Amen. and that Christ may be glorified. Yes. Let's do that. Amen. Next week, I'm going to teach you about the week after how to. You know the story of blind Barnabas? Do you know that blind Barnabas was the second generation of a blind man? He inherited blindness from his father. And he took his father's place because his father never 
dealt with blindness. Our children, with the weapons of our warfare, are inheriting things that we can put a stop to. You know, they now have these sheets. It used to be this far. Now i got a whole sheet. Does anybody in your family have this? Any of your family pee? Yep. Uh, You're probably going to have urinal tract problem. No. Who had cancer in your life? Well, my mother did when she was 97. Well, you might get it. I said, if I'm 97 and get it, I don't care. I'm going out. But they try because they, even the world understands that genetics are changing from one generation to the next. And if you don't put a stop to it, you can leave them money. But if you leave them bondages and hardships and addictions, their money cannot free them. And I'm going to teach you, you can set every one of your children free. Every one of them. I don't care how long they've been there. And you can set your spouses free. Amen. So we're going to talk about that next time we come together. Let's stand to our feet. I'm sorry I kept you so long. No, I'm not. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we thank you, God, that you have enabled us and empowered us. God, we are equipped and furnished with love, patience, understanding, the nine gifts of the Spirit, God, that we can discern and behold a brother and a sister. We thank you, God, that we as Christ can be moved by compassion because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost that is given unto us. Father, we are people that are made in your image. We are not negative. We are not critical. God, we are people of love. We find somebody flat, we blow them up. God, we find somebody worrying, we lift them up. We speak peace. And then, God, we go to work to deal with the adversity that they're going through. Let us, God, lift the hands of those that are weak. Let us, God, be so moved by love that we weep with those that weep. So moved, God, by victory that we rejoice with those that rejoice. God, only you can do what needs to be done. It seems so impossible. But God, you are the master of transformation. Change us, God. Change us that no ill is ever done to a neighbor. Change us, God, that our true focus is on loving you. God, I thank you. I thank you. I'm not preaching to Samson's that don't want to get out of Delilah's bed. I'm not preaching to people that have faith but do nothing. But that God, I'm preaching to open ears that say, God, use me. Here am I. 
God, transform me. Let the Jesus come alive in me. And let the glory of the resurrection, resurrection that's in me through Christ, let it go forth that men will see and they will be astounded at your love. God, I thank you. Today, if you're here and you're not a Christian, Jesus came to give his life for you. He died for you, and he loves you. He's not mad at you, but he can't make you do anything. But he did offer you salvation. He gave his life. He shed his blood on the cross. He died and was buried, and on the third day, God, by his faith, raised him up to declare that the cross was real. The Bible said that whosoever would believe in their heart, well, you got to believe in your heart, that's all, and then confess him with your mouth, you would be saved. It's not God's will that you perish or be separated from him any longer. The only thing that separates you from God is this decision. God, that's me. God, I need Jesus. If you're here today and you're not a Christian and you say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ. I just want to give my life to him. Let him take what I bring and let him transform me into a new creature. Let Jesus do what only he can do in your life. So if that's you today, I want you to quickly step out in the aisle and come down here and let me pray with you a prayer that is going to change your life. Not for you, but with you. That'll change your life. Is there anybody that says, Pastor, that's me? Okay, good. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pronounce blessing upon every individual that is here. I pronounce God goodness upon them. I pronounce God that a way will be made. I pronounce God that a path will be shown them. I pronounce God provision upon their life. I pronounce God health to their families. I pronounce God the healing balm of Gideon to their marriages. Now, God, I ask you to breathe upon us and renew us. God, use us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.